This is episode 141 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get to today's episode, I just want to say from our sponsor of this podcast, NPN Nature Photographers Network, you can go to naturephotographersnetwork.com right now and get a year membership for $49 plus 10% off if you use the code LPS10. What do you actually get with that? Well, you get critiques from professional photographers, you get exclusive webinars, you get exclusive articles, you get exclusive community above all else that are gonna help you take better photos. And it was funny, I was just writing a critique back to somebody this morning and just going through, you know, great photo, you could work on this, this, think about this next time. They're actual critiques that are gonna help you get better, not just great photo, thumbs up emoji. We're actually breaking down people's photos. And then I started to scroll through the other critiques on there. And I'm looking at names like Matt Payne. I'm looking at names like Eric Bennett. I'm looking at names of other contributors like David Kingham, Jennifer Renwick, Sarah Marino, Alex Noriega. The heavy hitters keep coming on NPN to help you level up your photos. And if you registered for a one-on-one session with them, you'd be getting into the thousands of dollars for critiques. But now on NPN, naturephotographers.network, you can sign up for a year for $49 plus 10% off if you use the code LPS10. It's that easy. You save a ton of cash and you get better with your photography. What more is there to want plus that community that you get with it too. So once again, naturephotographers.network, use the code LPS10 for 10% off of your $49 yearly membership. In the last two episodes, 139 and 140, we talked with a king in landscape photography right now, and that's Mads Peter Iverson, a master of composition and educating on composition. And if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to 139 and 140. Today in 141, we're coming back at you with another legend in outdoor photography, and that's Richard Burnaby. Uh, Richard and I sat down live on YouTube, and this is going to be a two-part series for the podcast. So this week and next week, 141 and 142. In this episode, part one, Richard and I are talking about, you know, how he got into photography and what's changed from then to now, because that was 20 plus years ago, I believe. And if you look at what, how the landscape has changed of photography in general, there are some drastic changes, but we take that and we look forward to how you can be prepared as a photographer, how you can share what means the most to you in the platforms that are available to you. How do you use those? What's coming next in the platforms? Plus, we break down for us what AI means on the incoming of AI and that growing technology for photography. Should you bring it into what you do? Should you ignore it? Should you, what should you do to be prepared for that in the future? And, and I think all of this, all this technology and all of this growing um, technology and, and changes that are coming and happening now have a great impact on what we do as photographers. And I think you can take what you learned from this episode and be ultimately prepared for what is coming in the next several years. 
Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome into the podcast. We're here with the infamous Richard Burnaby. Uh, Richard is somebody that I've followed in photography for quite some time, even going back to when I was getting started in photography. It was always fun to check in on Richard's blog, see what he's up to on social media, even though social media was in its infancy back then. Uh, Very strange to look back on it now as to what it's grown to. We're going to talk about where photography is going. Uh, And this is going to be really helpful for anybody who is not only getting started, maybe you're wondering why even jump in right now or why get started with photography? Is it too saturated? What are your concerns with that? We're going to be answering those questions. Plus, where is photography going in the future? This is going to help you get prepared for some of the things that may be coming down the road, new platforms coming up, new options coming up, and also Where's the industry going as a whole, as far as we can see it? Plus, we're going to be talking new technology in the photography world as well that's not related to cameras specifically. So, Richard, first of all, I I just want to thank you for coming on. I know we had a real quick connection there that we had to make, but thank you for making the time to coming and talking to this audience. David, thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Why don't you get started For anybody who doesn't know who you are, why don't you give your background, uh, how you got into photography and and where you are right now and and what kind of interests you in photography right now? Hmm. Yeah, um, you know, the story of me getting into photography, I started rather late in life. So it's not one of these stories where, you know, I was had a dark room when I was five years old or anything like that. I was, um, you know, just after going through my 20s, at some point I started to uh, settle down a little bit. And I reconnected with one of my first loves, which was nature and the outdoors. And I began to travel. I began to um, you know, do hiking trips and backpacking trips and fly fishing and canoeing and that sort of thing. And uh, that was my, my love when I was a child and I reconnected with it. And I think like most people, I just carried a camera around with me and I recorded uh, uh, the things that I saw, the things that I experienced. And um, I was a bit disappointed in the photography that I was doing, even though there's snapshots. I just want to show people, friends and family, you know, where I was going, what I was doing. And the, the, the photos never really matched my experience. It was always, if I, if I started going through the, the little prints from the drugstore, you know, I would, so this one didn't turn out and this didn't turn out. And that doesn't really look like what, what it, what I saw. So every once in a while though, I'd have say a roll of 24, one of them would, one of them would be spectacular, maybe even better than what I remember seeing. And I didn't know why it didn't make any sense to me because I just thought photography was a camera did what it was supposed to do is you pointed it at something and it recorded what you saw. So I thought maybe I needed better equipment. So I went and bought better photography gear and I just, led to more expensive mistakes, more expensive bad pictures. So then I began to just, being a curious person, I began to look at um, how the camera and how film recorded visual information as opposed to how the human visual system does. And after doing some research, uh, I began to realize that it was a miracle that anything turned out to look the way our minds and our eyes captured it. And I thought that was interesting. So. I began to like try to bridge that gap as to how film sees and how our eyes and our mind sees. And my 
my photography got better and better and better. And then I found myself, I was going out to do these activities, the hiking and the fly fishing and all that. And I found myself being more interested in the photo ops than the actual activities. And that just kind of led me on a path to um, being hooked on photography, um, starting a small business. And then finally in 2003, uh, going full time. And I've been a full-time professional since 2003, almost 20 years. I love how you said my mistakes just got to be more expensive mistakes. And, and I think that's what a lot of people don't really understand when they're first getting started in photography is like, okay, I got this entry-level camera. It seems like everybody's entry-level camera was like a Canon, Canon Rebel T2i. Um, and then they moved on to right into a full frame thinking that it's going to make them like a better photographer uh, when that's obviously not always the case. I would love to get a synopsis of where you've seen the photography industry go from 20 years ago to, to what it is now. Yeah. W when I first started, you could make a decent living doing editorial mm -hmm. photography, you know, writing for magazines. And, you know, when you had editors for magazines, you, the idea to get ahead was to make their life as easy as possible. So if you could write and do photography both and hand them a package that had both so they didn't have to go out and try to find a photography to illustrate an article or vice versa, you were more apt to be published. And, and between that and selling stock, you can make a decent living if you knew how to write and you knew how to promote yourself. Um, that obviously changed really fast uh, around 2006, 2007. A lot of regional magazines just went out of business and the internet became the place people went for information rather than printed magazines. So that um, that kind of went away. And then stock also went away. Just the demand and supply, there's just with the digital revolution, you know, there's images everywhere. And people didn't have to hire you to go to a place to go photograph. They could find it somewhere on the internet or um, selling stock and doing assignments just wasn't a big, a big part of anyone's business anymore to be a photographer. And it seems like somewhere around that time, the late 2000s where teaching photography, you had now all of a sudden photography was democratized. You had these powerful digital cameras in the hands of people who wanted to learn how to use them want to learn to uh, well, want to go out and travel, go to places and use these cameras. And so now teaching people the art and, and the, the craft of photography became like a little cottage industry. And you see that now with photography tours, photography workshops. And um, that was a big transition somewhere like around the late 2000s. And that became bigger than then social media. And now, uh, you know, you could you could post your 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 images on social media and have a built-in following that people were there just specifically to see your work and you didn't need, you know, um, centralized, you know, uh, forums or magazines or all that to, to get your work out. You could, you could share your work directly with people who wanted to see your work. So that just what you saw in the, in the two thousands, uh, from, from 2000 to 2010, just completely revolutionized the business and changed, you know, what it, what it meant to be a photographer. And even today, um, being a good photographer is not nearly enough. If you want to do this full time, you have to have a, a, a full set of skills from writing 
to uh, being a good uh, promoter of your work, a public speaker, uh, you can go on and on and on. But uh, being a good photographer and taking good photos is not nearly uh, enough to be able to make a living and, and do this full time. I see photos on social media all the time where I'm like, wow, this person is way better than I'll probably ever be. Uh, why are they not? And you ask them that and they say, well, I don't want to get involved with all the extra stuff in photography is did that for you just come naturally as you were getting into it and making the transitions and going through the stages of how it was progressing in the business side? Yeah, that just came naturally to me because I did have a career before doing this where I managed people and managed businesses. And um, so being an entrepreneur was it came very naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to everyone. So um, uh, you and I talked before this about I do have a podcast and one of the topics that I talk about in my podcast is not only photography but is entrepreneurship and people say why include entrepreneurship with photography and the arts and travel and all these other topics that's because when someone tells you that they want to become a full-time photographer and do this full-time what they're basically saying is I'm going to start a business I'm going to run a business and most photographers just because they're good at photography doesn't necessarily mean they're good at running a business and that's what it takes to be a pro you're running a business you're starting a business and learning to be an entrepreneur is like learning anything else um it's maybe one of the most important skills that you can learn if you want to do this full-time as a professional i people ask all the time you know how do i get started in photography how do i make my business and recently I've come to the conclusion that I tell them you're not really a photographer. You you still are, you do it on the side still, but you're a media company. Now you look at outlets of how to get yourself out there. Like you said, speaking video, social media, all these things that come into it. You're, you're now a media company and for you. And, and I know this with the podcast doing, I think we're on uh, 254 episodes now of this podcast. Um, I know it from that side of growing a podcast and getting started with it. Why did you start a photo photography podcast and go that direction? It's funny. I never really considered doing podcasts. I was, I've always guests on podcasts, but never, um, a host. And one day I was asked to be a guest on Anthony Scaramucci's podcast. Most people know Anthony Scaramucci was, uh, um, he had 11 infamous days in uh, the White House, and he's been sort of a media personality in a way. And I was kind of surprised. I'm like, why does he want me on his podcast? So I, I agreed to it, and I went on, and it was like a 15-minute or 20-minute uh, bit. And apparently, it went well. And we got along well, and we talked about photography and travel and this, that. And afterwards, the producer's contacting me says you ever consider doing your own podcast i mean you're you're very good you're well spoken i guess i don't really like to hear my own voice i don't think most people do and so um i started to think about it and i said i don't want to do a podcast like all the others i don't want to just do have a parade of photographers on and talk about you know the same 20 questions about how they got started what they shoot blah blah, blah. i want to do something different so um it's called beyond the lens 
and it's beyond the lens because I wanted to talk about ancillary subjects in addition to photography that are all related. And to me, things that are important and interest me. So I always preface my introduction by saying it's photography, the arts, uh, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. And that, that opens me up to all kinds of guests and, and, and new listeners that may not want to just tune into a podcast that's just straight photography. So one out of three or four guests will be a photographer. And I try to focus and, and narrow it to a specific topic if I do. But uh, photography enc encompasses so many other things. And um, I, I'm, I do a lot of wildlife photography. So wildlife conservation is important to me. So I like having people on like uh, Mark Cook with Wolves of the Rockies talking about the Yellowstone wolves and their, their plight or um, the lions of Africa or whatever it may be. Those things interest me. And if you're into wildlife photography, they should interest you too. And in um, entrepreneurship and travel and all those things, they're all kind of related in a way. But I just wanted to do something a little bit different than the, the typical uh, photography podcast. Hey, real quick, you heard me in the intro talk about Nature Photographers Network. I just want to remind you to use that code when you go to naturephotographers.network to sign up for that yearly membership. It's actually, I just did the math on my phone because calculators for the wind. If you divide it out, that's 13 cents a day. You're paying like $10 for a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. I mean, come on. It's fall, y'all. Pumpkin spice is in. I'm, I'm just kidding. I go with the nitro cold brew myself, but I digress. You're spending like five to $10 for coffee. When you go get good coffee, we're talking 13 cents a day. That's ridiculously cheap for what you get in that community. So again, go to naturephotographers.network, sign up for yearly membership for $49 and use the code LPS10 for 10% off of that already ridiculously low price for critiques exclusive webinars, exclusive articles, one-on-one -on -one direct access to your favorite photographers on the planet, what better value could you get? Let's get back to my talk with Richard Burnaby. Do you see other people and, and should they start a podcast if they're looking to get started in photography? And is that an avenue that the industry is going as well? Um, I think... Like I said, you're almost a media company. So I think as, as many outlets as you have to get your message out, the better. Of course, you know, you want to have something interesting to say. I mean, you're not going to get listeners if you're not, um, particularly now. I mean, if you started a podcast 10 years ago, it was pretty easy to get some traction because there was fewer podcasts out there in competition for, you know, for people's ears. Today, there's, I don't know how many there are, it's probably millions so you really do have to have something interesting to say. You have to have a um, compelling message to not only get viewers, but keep them or say viewers, listeners to get listeners and keep listeners. Yeah. I mean, we have quote unquote photography podcasts, but if you're looking at the niche topics like landscape or outdoor photography, I, would you categorize yours in that category? No, I purposely don't. Okay, I, I'm. I, I kind of went in the opposite direction, and I guess time will tell whether um, I made the right choice or not. But instead of going niche to a very narrow topic, I just opened it up, and I look at it like 
you look at a, like a wheel and photography is like the hub and you got these spokes going out in different directions, travel, which is re related to photography, at least for me and in wildlife conservation and entrepreneurship, all these things are like spokes that go outward with photography as the hub and writing too. So maybe, um, maybe the smart thing to do is to go very narrow and go deep with a narrow subject like like landscape or something else. I decided to go the other way, and um, I'm a contrarian, so we'll see if that works out. So far, so good. Um, it's it's been uh, well received. Uh, viewership is, I mean, listenership is better than anyone expected. So, um, and I just, I think, I think the main thing is is that I have to have guests and topics that I'm interested in. So if I think, you know. Somebody says you have to have so and so on because you know they have a big following and they'll increase viewership and all this. That's fine, but I have to be interested in in it. So if I if I have a guest and I'm, or we, we're talking about a topic that I'm not interested in, that'll show. I can't fake it, and um, I, I want to have guests on that I would pay myself to sit down at like a dinner, an hour long dinner and have a share a bottle of wine and ask all the questions I would want to ask, even if there wasn't a podcast there. So that's my guiding principle. Um, I have people on that I would want to talk to anyway. Um, and that keeps me interested in it. And I, hopefully that people can kind of pick up on the, that I'm passionate about those conversations. The downside of this format of a podcast is that we're not face to face having any wine. I mean, I'll accept a bottle of wine in the mail from you. Um, it is what 10 o'clock in the morning, but you know, I wouldn't put it past me. Um, and I'm going to experiment with some face to face too, actually. So, um, I've got one of the zoom recorders and, and, uh, a portable, you know, mics and I'm getting ready to go to Antarctica here in a couple of weeks. And, um, I do some instruction with Munch workshops and this is a Munch trip. We're going to be gone for like 23 days on the water out to the Falkland Islands in South Georgia and the Antarctic Peninsula. And at one point, one of these days, we're doing a long uh, uh, sea trek and we're just bored and sitting around. I'm going to get Mark Munch, pull him aside, go find an empty room, pull out his recorder, give him a mic and sit down and record an, uh, a conversation. So um, I'm curious as to you know how, how the dynamic is face-to-face -face, having conversation and recording it in a podcast as opposed to via zoom or you know remotely i've done a couple and it's really fun it, it is a different dynamic than recorded over zoom or Streamyard like we're doing um it, it's definitely a different dynamic i did it in a coffee shop so there was a lot of ambient noise which was like kind it. of it was kind of cool in a way i think um I think it makes it authentic. I yeah. think the uh, chemistry between the two people will be um, more fluid. The conversation will be more fluid. Um, but I have not done it yet, so I guess I'll find out. We've talked about different avenues that people can branch out into if they're looking to get started. Um, and, and the past experiences that you've had growing your photography as well as the business side, where do you see the photography industry standing right now? And, and I'll preface this with, I've been reading a lot of articles about the whole industry, whether that be 
camera technology or sales or interest level in it kind of decreasing over the past two years. Um, but photo sharing and people pushing more photos that they're taking is drastically increasing. Um, so I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah. Trying to predict, you know, what's going to happen is, is really, really difficult, almost impossible. And if you look at, you know, when I started in 20, 2003 to where things are now, nobody could have predicted, you know, that we have like phones, for example, what they could do. This is ridiculous. So where, where is this going? I mean, I, I wish I had an answer. I mean, what we're seeing now is just now the, um, almost a fusion of, you know, AI with, with photos now, what is real, what isn't real. I don't, I don't really concern myself with, I don't think about it that much. I still think that photography is about, you know, connecting with people. Uh, you know, my, my whole philosophy with doing photography is always to go out and share my experience, not necessarily what I see, but what I feel. So when I go out on a photo shoot, I'm looking to have an experience of some kind. I'm looking to feel something. And if I do, then I use what photo photography knowledge I have, that toolbox, whether it be what's in the camera bag or what's up here. And um, I try to create an image that makes people feel what I felt. And that's always going to be what makes photography successful or not to me. And we've heard... I've heard it at least 20 years, the death of photography was just around the corner. First it was video, it was this, it was that, and it never has quite uh, disappeared. Um, the, the AI thing is a bit concerning. I mean, when you have an app where you can just say um, mountain, sunset, river, bear, and it can create out of nothing uh, a photograph of that those those terms that you just inputted um and it looks like a photograph i mean it's so is you know is that going to be representative of a human being's experience no so it may be sterile it may still be beautiful it may be sterile it may not have the emotional hook that a real person can only create but it's, it's it is interesting but I, i'm sticking with what it got it's gotten me here and as technology changes, I have to stay on top of that and go with where the technology goes. But ultimately, it's going to be sharing my experiences. If it ever gets to the point where I just can't keep up with the technology and you know a computer can do it better than I can, then I will still share my experiences through writing or some other way. But I still think there will always be a um, an appetite for uh, that that having that experience for those who can't do that experiences that I'm able to do and um, whatever technology is available to me to do it, then I'll do it. If it's photography, that's great. If it's something else, then it'll be something else. But getting back to what we just talked about, you know, to be successful as a photographer these days, you have to have many, many hats. You have many, a, a rather broad skill set, And um, it comes down to, and this, this is going to sound, I had this conversation with Luke Peterson. And he didn't quite agree with me, but I'm not going to say he was wrong or I'm wrong. But to be a photographer these days, it's almost as if your work uh, uh, isn't your product anymore. You are the product. Like I, I Richard Burnaby, am the product. David Johnson, you're the product. It's, um, 
you're you can't you know you, you obviously you have to back it up if you call yourself a photographer you're gonna have to do good photography but you are the product and it's kind of a sum of all your skills from doing public speaking to teaching to um to to writing to how you express yourself to the public that is ultimately what's going to make you successful as a quote-unquote photographer would you rather be the product or the influencer um, you know, I, I have a pretty big following on social media and, um, I, I guess I, I'm sometimes referred to as an influencer. I don't quite like that word, but uh, you know, I don't mind being the product. You know, I think, I think, um, not to sound you know, boastful or anything. I think a lot of people who follow me on Insta on Instagram and Twitter and other places kind of live vicariously through me. So I still think it comes down to experiences, having apex experiences, and then um, sharing them through photos, through writing, through well, if it's video, whatever it may be. That I, I I'm staying true to the, that philosophy. In terms of the feeling side, and and how you described your style of photography and what you what brings you the most joy in the field which is amazing that that you know that um versus you know niching down which we talked about just a second ago uh, it it is possible that there will remain a section of photographers who do go that route stay the feeling route the realism route uh and and I see that already with people doing a style of photography and creating a new niche with the technology that's coming out moving forward of that other AI style of photography. Do you see that true? You know, I, I both because okay. I, I, I can't turn away from technology. If technology is taking us one way, I mean, it, it kind of foolish to turn away from it and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm staying here with film and I, you know, I'm not going that newfangled. It, I think you always have to kind of look over the horizon to see, you know, what's there and kind of embrace it. And, and it's easy to just, you become a curmudgeon and say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. But it's still, it still comes down to, um, you know, sharing experience and, you know, using all those tools that you have as far as like your personal vision, uh, the tools you have in your, your, your toolbox, as far as, uh, your lenses and your camera gear and all your knowledge that goes into it and then creating something that connects with people and whatever technology is going to be available to us that allows us to do it. That's fine. But you know, when we get into AI and you get into, you know, the over-processing of images where it crosses a line into digital art and, and it's no longer photographed any longer, then you risk um, losing people because there is an implied agreement between a photographer and the viewer that what you're what you're representing is something real and that's that's it's the only form of visual arts where we have that 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 responsibility if 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 you have a a scene that no longer okay so so painter if he, he if he's out in plein air, he's out in the out, he's got his canvas. If the tree is in the wrong place and he wants to move a tree, he, he could do that. And nobody's going to think twice about it. That's just art. But if it's a photograph, people expect, rightly or wrongly, that what 
they're seeing is something it represents something real. So it's like creativity in a straitjacket. We have a lot of creative latitude, but we're still bound by reality. And if if people look at a photograph and it no longer feels real or it crosses that threshold of, of believability, then people are not going to connect to it emotionally any longer. It's digital art. This is fine. That's that's a, a valid art form. But they're not going to make that connection that they would to a photograph if they don't think it's real any longer. So, um, you know, do use AI to your heart's content. Use all the digital editing tools to your heart's content. But if the viewer doesn't believe it any longer, then they'll lose that emotional connection. And that, to me, is like the most important part of a photograph. So... Why uh, you bring it up an extra an interesting point? Why does photography versus other art forms have that emotional connection? Like you said, you know, the photograph you have that realism, emotional connection to it. The second you say, "Well, something was clone stamped out here that I didn't like," AI was used in this way. In a, in an instant, that emotional connection is severed. Why is yeah. that? It's, it's a good question. I, I think it's just the uh, the cross we bear as photographers. Right. We um, it's funny thing. If, if let's say you 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 created this landscape and you made some edits that took something out of, of importance or put something in that wasn't there, and you showed it online and somebody said, "I would love to have a print of that." And you, and so you got to print. You go to their house and you hang it up above their mantel place, and they're in love with it. And they, like I said, that emotional connection is there. Maybe it's the uh, the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and they they spent their childhood going there on family vacations, and they so they connect to it on that on that level. And then you said, well, actually, you know, that sky is a different sky. That that really wasn't there. And that tree right there, I put that tree in myself. All of a sudden, they start losing interest in that. Because they again, there's there's a, a an assumption, there's a um, uh, I said there's like an unspoken agreement between the photographer and the viewer that it represents something real, and uh, you know other artists of different you know painters and so on and so forth don't have that burden that that we do. So fairly unfairly, that's just the way it is. And like I said, digital art. They're artists too. They deserve every bit of respect as any other artists. But we we really rely on that that connection, that emotional connection. And once you cross that threshold, all the believability, uh, as far as the photographs concerned, I think people will um, disconnect to it. I hope you found this discussion with Richard really insightful. Next week. We'll probably be even more insightful where we continue our discussion in part two about what's coming with technology, what's happening now versus what may happen in the future. We talk about the different platforms of Instagram and Vero, a very hot topic in landscape photography right now. Richard actually, before we talked, had just gotten off the phone on his own podcast with the CEO of Vero and shared some really interesting information that you're going to want to check out next week. So sign in for next week, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and whatever platform you listen on, please leave a review of how you felt about the podcast. If you've listened to a lot of episodes, if this is your first episode, I would love to hear what you think about the show. 
Thanks so much, and I can't wait to see you guys next week.